Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz. I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Okay, for some time, I have been wanting to share our story, uh, our family story. I, I know that there have been times where I've referenced some of the things that we have gone through as a uh, as a family, and particularly for Elaine and me to perhaps sit down sometime and talk about what this has been like for our marriage. And I've been waiting for a good opportunity, a good way to talk my wife into <laughs> sitting down and uh, and doing this. And I've even had other people, mainly family, uh, ask me when we will tell our story of loss and recovery. And again, if you listen to this podcast enough, you know that I make references to Elaine's struggle in recovering from brain surgery and brain cancer, and then my oldest son's battle and eventually eventual death to cancer. Uh, but uh, we haven't had a chance to do that. Well, as it happened, we were invited recently, in fact, this past Sunday, to speak at a Valentine's dinner at a local church. Uh, the pastor there is a good friend of mine. And so my wife and I did that, and I decided that I would put my iPhone on the table and record this and hope that it might be something podcast-worthy, and I feel like it is. And uh, so this is what we're going to be doing today. I'm going to be playing uh, that uh, recording. And so here we are, the two of us, telling our story of how Jesus, that third chord as we refer to him to, uh, as, held our world together during the hardest time. So I don't want to take up any more time. I want to go ahead and take you straight to that recording of Elaine and me speaking at the Encounter Church here in Tacoa, Georgia. Let's go to that right now. I think when he was praying, Julie was turning it up to get him to not pray so long. Well, uh, thank you so much for inviting us to this. We uh, haven't done this sort of thing a lot, but we are excited to do it. We've been married for 37 years, uh, met here at Tacoa Falls College, and have had quite a ride, very challenging 37 years. And uh, we're here tonight to share some of the lessons that we've learned, and we hope that this is going to be uh, an encouraging time. You'll probably find that I'm going to be doing more of the talking early on. Don't get nervous. I'm not one of those guys that's not going to let my wife talk. Uh, she, well, uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, several uh, years ago, a pastor was officiating in a wedding and uh, came to the point of the vows, and he looked at the groom, and he said those uh, standard words. He said, John, repeat after me. Do you, John, take Rachel to be your wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance. And to the shock of the pastor, uh, John answered by saying, yes, 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 no, no, yes, yes, no, yes. And uh, the pastor looked at him and said, John, you, you can't pick and choose what you want as you make this commitment to, to God. It's all or nothing. It's not a true story, by the way. <laughs> what is amazing about marriage is this, that at the altar, 
when you stand before witnesses and you stand before the greatest witness of all, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, our, our sovereign king, that you are embracing God's purposes together for your life, which probably will include suffering. This is not something we select and pick in our future. Uh, it will include hardship. Uh, it's pain is relative, I often say. Not that your relatives are the pain. That's not what that means. Uh, but some go through harder things than, than others. But people do experience pain. Uh, there's conflict. There's tensions. There's sickness. There's health issues. There's bad news. There's challenges. And uh, this is what we're saying yes to in the wedding vow. And what Elaine and I have discovered is how oftentimes the real commitment is not made when you're standing in this beautiful setting of a wedding and you have people looking, smiling, and you're smiling at each other and you're saying these words to each other. Uh, the real test, the real commitment that's made is when you are in the waiting room of a hospital uh, waiting to find out if your wife is going to survive brain surgery, which is going to be a little bit of the story that we're going to talk about tonight. And uh, through, through our story, we hope tonight to encourage you uh, to see that marriage is the most wonderful display or reflection of Christ's relationship with us. And that is oftentimes displayed in crucible. It's oftentimes displayed best in hardship. Uh, we see that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is speaking about his suffering. That is speaking about the crucifixion, his sacrifice for us. That, we might, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, having said this, uh, I want you to think about this before we jump into our story. There are really two stories that marriage tells. Uh, there's a narrative that's being spoken in marriage. One is redemptive, a redemptive story. Your marriage is either talking about redemption, what God has done and restoring and bringing about peace and bringing about reconciliation, or it's a story about brokenness. And I like the redemptive story a lot better than the story of brokenness. One of the things that drives us in our marriage is knowing that a generation or two from now, or maybe even three generations from now, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids are going to have a story they're going to be telling about us, what they've heard about us. Uh, I want them to say for our granddaughter now when she grows up, Papa and Mimi hung in there when it got really tough. Uh, they didn't give up. They, they let the gospel of Jesus Christ be the center of their marriage. And they wanted their lives to be a reflection of this relationship that God has with us. Uh, I use this for counseling a lot with couples where Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away. That oftentimes describes marriage relationships. There's, there's a distancing there. Once you are far away, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And, and I share this whenever I do counseling, especially uh, a couple that might be at the brink of divorce or even facing the, the normal challenges of marriage. I remember some years ago, there was a couple that 
were divorced and they were back for marriage counseling because they wanted to get back together again. That's the kind of story that I want to see displayed because of the gospel. And, and so we want you to, to reflect deeply on this this evening. What story will your grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids say about you? What will they be talking about? I shared with, I was sharing with a friend today what we we're going to talk about tonight. And I, on my dad's side, my dad grew up in Holland. And I think it was his grandfather uh, disappeared in the red light districts of Amsterdam, Holland. He, he just disappeared, never was found again. That's the story that we have of that family. It's a story of brokenness, a story of tragedy. On the other side of the family, the story of healing and the story of what the gospel does when Christ is at the center. So with that backdrop, um, that marriage is the most beautiful way that Jesus displays the gospel. We want to tell our story here, uh, especially how the gospel helped us to survive three hard blows in the 37 years that we've been married. Um, I was not the hard blow to her. I, I, we've had a good relationship. Uh, the challenges began really about halfway through uh, our marriage. And if it hadn't been for Jesus, if it had not been for the depth of of his love for us, his commitment to us, his faithfulness to us, I, I don't know if we could have made it. Uh, he's that, in, in my ring here is engraved. I can't read it anymore, not because it's faded, but because my eyes have changed so much. But Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, a, a, a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And at our wedding, we, we uh, committed ourselves to that because we wanted to see Jesus to be that that center cord that made the core cord that would hold our, our marriage together. And he certainly did that. He certainly did that. Uh, he's been the fourth man that showed up in the fiery furnace where, similar to Daniel's friends, when they refused to bow to, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, to the world. So Elaine is going to pick it up here in just a minute. Just give you a little context before uh, she does. We, Are we going to be in a war tent with a bomb? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll come back to that. Yeah, we knew we'd have moments here where we're going to kind of interact and say, you know, do we bring this up now? Uh, but I thought that'd be good to share a little later. No. Uh, you want me to share it now? Before. Okay. All right. Um, this this whole notion of the two stories of redemption and brokenness, we we were, and this is helpful to give you a context where we we served, we graduated from Tacoma Falls College, went. Uh, the missionary track with the Christian Missionary Alliance, the denomination I'm still licensed with. And uh, after several years, we ended up in the northwest of England. And back in the 90s, there was a lot of tension between Northern Ireland and, and the, British, uh, the, the, the British government. Northern Ireland belonged to Great Britain, wanted to be free of Great Britain. And so there was a, the uh, NRA, the National Republic Army, would actually set off bombs in, in England. And one time in the town where we lived, in the town square on a Saturday morning, I think it was 1993. I was very pregnant with Brett, and I was in the middle of the night, and I could see out my window this major something. It looked like the, 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 it is the start of the day, but it was the middle of the night. Yeah, it was a, like, like fireworks. It turned out that a bomb had gone off. Killed two 12-year-old boys. They were not connected with each other at all. It just happened, actually, two bombs uh, were set off. And, and in fact, they set one bomb off, and it, it forced, the, they did this intentionally, forced the crowd to a narrower section. Another bomb went off there, killed another young boy. And what fascinated Elaine and I after that was the, 
the, the parents of those two kids that were killed, one of them, and they were, they were public figures, they were spokesmen for this. In fact, that was the, the turn of the tide with the tension with Northern Ireland. Uh, because of the, you know when people say, hey, we, kids are dying here, this is ridiculous. And so the people that were catalysts to that were the two parents of those two kids. And one of them in time, uh, the tragedy was so hard on them, they ended up uh, splitting up. And, and they faded out of the picture. Their story wasn't heard anymore. Uh, but the other couple uh, grew close together. They talked about their marriage. In fact, I remember they even talked about God there. So that that's, was a fascinating example to us that we've talked about often, even recently reflected on that again. Uh, how tragedies can either break or make you. And it really has to do with what your commitment to the gospel is, your commitment to, to Jesus Christ. So we are, we are serving in England, and we're wrapping up a, a seven-year healthy, productive ministry there. I was pastoring a small evangelical church there, and we we're ready to come home. And this is where I'm going to hand the mic over to my wife, and she'll uh, kind of explain to you what happened. And we'll be interacting together, passing the mic back and forth to each other. So, Elaine. As Mitch lets me talk here, my part of it's actually a little bit off because I remember we were going on our quote vacation. We were going to take the kids to Disneyland there in Paris. We had lots of great, great plans. And yet that part of it, I've kind of forgotten. What actually happened? (laughs) We were... uh... Uh, we were in Germany uh, looking at the school for my oldest son, Travis, and uh, Elaine had been experiencing some dizziness for a year. And uh, we seen doctors try to understand what was going on, what was causing this, and they could not really pinpoint anything. They thought maybe it's diet, maybe it's medication that you're, you're taking. And uh, when we were in Germany, she started to, uh, to fade out. She, had, she laid down for hours at a time, severe headache. And this, the part that Elaine's talking about that she doesn't remember is when we end up in, uh, we were heading from Paris to, I mean, from Germany to Paris to see some friends. And then from there, we we're going to travel to Belgium to visit some family there. My, my family's from Belgium and Holland, and we're having a little mini reunion there. Uh, but in Paris, she saw two doctors. They both could not uh, identify what was going on. They suggested perhaps she had a tooth abscess. And uh, we decided to go on with our plans, arrived in Belgium, sat down for lunch. Elaine took a sip of soup, immediately threw it all up, did that a couple times. And uh, this is the point where our whole family was sensing there's something not right here. And, uh, and so we got in the car, drove the, the 10 hours back up to Northwest England with our three kids. And Elaine was slumped over to the side. And of course, I'm, I'm armed with this information that she has a tooth abscess. I think, okay, we'll see a dentist when we get there. And um, as soon as we arrived at our house in England, she was completely uh, unconscious. We called an ambulance. They rushed her to the hospital. Uh, they took her quite a, took quite a long time to scan her. Uh, they don't have the equipment there like we do here. And when they did, they found that she had a mass on her brain. And uh, they didn't have the facility there to do surgery, rushed her to Liverpool, which is about 45 minutes away. And uh, there the doctor came to me and said, um, we don't think she'll survive this. It's unlikely she will. Uh, Later they told me that she had 20 minutes and she would not have made it. And uh, what ended up um, being discovered was a a tumor uh, right on the speech center of her brain. 
And, um, and at this point, Elaine will share, uh, she was in a coma for about a month, and I would go every day. In fact, I resigned from my ministry as a pastor at the church just so I could be with her. A lot of help uh, with the children, uh, watching them, taking them to school. And, um, and finally she started coming too, and um, she was on it because again, this, the tumor was on a speech center, she was not able to talk, and it was obvious she was very confused. But later as she began to come to an awareness of what had happened and could talk more about it, uh, I was able to get her perspective on this. Because I knew really what was happening. I realized that I was a teacher. I knew I was a teacher. And I realized that one day at the school, I was not so good. So my principal said, you're going to have to go to the hospital. And I said, okay. So I went to the hospital. And this is exactly what I thought was happening. So I went to the hospital. And there at the hospital, I kept seeing these six kids. And I thought, they're so cute. And I kept wondering, where are their parents? Like, they never have parents with them. And I kept looking at them. I thought, those six kids are so sweet. And I got a great idea. Maybe if I got married to this doctor that was very botherness, he would come almost every day to my room. Very botherness, especially, I would tell the nurses, tell them don't come. And yet, I got this great idea. Maybe if I got married to adopted, they would let me adopt those six children. Well, guess what? I realized as things started getting better, those really were my three children. Apparently with my eyes at that part, my vision of seeing, I thought there were six of them, but it really were my three children. And that's when I realized, wow, this really is my husband. I could not say the name Mitch because that really stinks when you learn English, that Mitch, that doesn't go together. So I just called him the man, and I would see those children until I was finally able to come back home and to be with my children. That was my joy. Well, they're living in Warrington. I thought, oh, everybody's being so nice to us. They're helping us pack. They're having the parties for us. And of course, it would be me having the parties, but they just know that I'm busy, busy because of how much I have to do. And I didn't realize at that part until we flew back and we came actually to Tacoa because Mitch had family that was here in Tacoa. When the doctor said I was allowed to fly, we came to Tacoa. And I suddenly realized, wait a minute, this is a lot worse than I thought because all of my words didn't make sense. And I thought they were busy and they weren't listening to me. And I realized that my words weren't right. I think my favorite word was dragon. And uh, it was really tough coming back here. And I sat and I said, why did this happen? I had given my Jesus my life. I had done everything for him. Why did I need to stay here? <laughs> I was ready to go to heaven, and I believe in it. That's, that's what this is all about, is to be in heaven. I could be with my Jesus. Why had he kept me here? It was very, very difficult for me. 
There was a lot of things that you guys to, le to learn um, if you go into James. And I think that's one of my favorite words is joy. Because happiness, it comes once in a while sometimes. Tonight, we're guys, we're enjoying happiness. This is a happy time as we're celebrating to be together. And yet to have something in your own heart of joy that really comes from God. And for me to realize, I got a long way to go. I've got to learn to talk and walk and all of the above. I had to learn to cook. I had to do everything for my children. I had to learn to drive. I had to start from zero. And with English, which really stinks, by the way, English does. I mean, you realize how many A's there are? I mean, you got five different A's and you have to start from zero at my age. It was really tough. Um, it was really God's joy that made me stay here. I didn't really want to be here, but it was for my children's sake, I needed to stay. Um, and Mitch knows it really was the kids. You came into that at some point. I'll take it. <laughs> but it really is for my kids I had to stay here. Um, well, so I had to start going to rehab right there by the hospital here. And many times it was difficult because my words were just almost at zero. Like I said, Dragon was one of my favorites for some reason. Um, for me to be learning and to learning to say the name Mitch, you know, to put all those things together. Well, about two weeks into it, okay. while I was at rehab. Let me share something before that. Um, we're, the, the story's shifting some, so before uh, Elaine starts to explain what, um, what transpired next, the second blow that we experienced in our family, uh, I want to take you back to when she was having surgery and then relate that again to uh, the commitment that we made to each other. Um, and I, honestly, I'm not saying that reading this to you to sell the book, but if, if that's a product of it, then I'm fine with that. But um, I was reading again this morning uh, something that I wrote. These were letters that I wrote to Elaine and also to my two other sons. We'll tell their story in just a moment. Uh, but in the, the, uh, the moment when she was being operated on, in fact, I, I remember vividly, I was, I was standing outside the hospital and I didn't realize I was standing where the ambulance is back up into uh, th those large doors, and I, I suddenly heard a, a loud, uh, as the British say, a klaxon, you know, beeping, horn, honking, and I turned around and realized uh, they're coming right towards me, and, and so I moved inside. And I think I, I found a room inside, and, and th this is what I wrote about that. So when Elaine was being operated on and fighting for her life on June 6, 1998, the surgeon came to tell me that she had little chance of surviving. When someone hears such words, the waiting room becomes his only world. There in that confine, I found myself pacing, praying, making phone calls to solicit as much support as possible. As I sat there, I found myself drifting in time and remembering the words that I had said at an altar at the front of a church nearly 15 years earlier. The power and the significance of those words suddenly took on meaning as never before. While we longed that our lives together would be filled with happiness, and uninterrupted joy, that is not the way it turned out for us. 
We say such words so routinely in weddings. I remember listening to the pastor as he guided me through those ritualistic statements, thinking, would you just get on with it? I want to kiss her. But now I found myself beginning to place new significance in and gave new relevance to those words. There, in that hospital lounge, those words suddenly meant something, and they resurfaced from the deep memory bank of my mind to become a beacon for what would turn out to be a very dark path. Mitch, will you love and cherish Elaine for better and for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health? Right there before God, I vowed, Lord, whatever you have in mind for Elaine, I want to say right now, I accept it. If you want her, you can take her. If you keep her here and she needs help, I will help her. You see, when I married Elaine and said these vital words before God, we both committed our lives to serve him. And we were saying, God, you are invited to do whatever you want with us. It was a pledge to serve God together, not simply to serve each other or to fulfill personal happiness through a relationship with that person. God had brought us together so that we would be useful to him together, not alone. We were finding out that how he carries that, is up, how he carries that out is up to him. And sometimes it will be in ways that we would not have chosen. I remember writing that the next day uh, that that event actually happened. Um, so we're, we're back in Georgia, Tacoa, Georgia. And Elaine is in rehab. We have three kids with us. Our oldest son, Travis, was 12. Daughter, Brianna, I think was 10 or 9. And then a little, uh, our little son, Brett, was 5 turning on 6. Okay, so um, I was there at rehab. And um, Mitch showed up and said, we're going to have to go. And he had our son, Travis, in the car. We knew that Travis was dealing with a little bit of, Travis was such a soccer player, he was such a piano player, he was such a loving school kid, and things were a little bit off. He had seen Dr. Pinkerton, and uh, they thought maybe it was just like he wasn't getting enough um, water what, yeah, inside him. Well, that wasn't what was wrong we had to go to Gainesville. And as we drove to Gainesville to see the doctor there, they did a full scan on Travis. And the doctor there in Gainesville was awesome because he came down to Travis's level and Travis was sitting there. I was on one side, Mitch was on the other. The doctor came down to Travis's level. And he says, Travis, we have to tell you something. We've looked inside and you have a brain tumor right here. And Travis, the thing is, nothing can be done to it. And I think Mitch thinking there's got to be a surgery, do something for my son. And the doctor to say, there's nothing we can do. We're going to give you some radiation, try to give you time, but you're going to die with this. And I thought, this is my blue eyes done. And um, my game player, and somebody that had so much joy to other people, and so many people that loved Travis, that had a mother, how was I going to explain this to anybody? Because from rehab, I wasn't going to be able to tell anybody, my son has a brain tumor and he's going to die with it. 
And I'm thinking, why wasn't I already in heaven? And then Travis will be coming to be with me there. Mm. And for me to realize, I'm staying here. And they're telling us that Travis is going to go. And with his blue, blue, blue eyes, to know he's going to be going. There at the church, people came on to Travis, and he was such a people person. And the elders wanted to pray for him, which I totally believe in healing. I totally believe in God's healing. And as they prayed for him, Travis said, as we walked to the car, I don't want to be healed. He says, I want to see my Jesus. And he says, with the biggest smile on his face, and besides that, my Nintendo is going to be so much faster <laughs> than it is here. We spent 10 months, 10 more months with Travis, had to go through radiation, had to go through things through the school, and people that did love him a lot. He had so much joy for so many. But um, in that August is when Travis died. And Travis is buried here in Tacoma, which is another good reason for me to be back to this town. Um, I think we'll pause on that. Mm -hmm. I was just going to talk about some of my verses um, for his likeness. Sure, then. Here. For closing. Right there. Um, we're, we'll wrap up here in a minute just with some closing thoughts and some verses that have been significant for Elaine. But there have been a number of times in the past 20 years where I've wondered what it was like for Elaine to uh, struggle with her own recovery and seeing her, her son uh, go through what he was going through. Um, can I ask you that? What, as you look back over that, what kept you going? I know his faith was huge. But as you look back over that, what, what was the key thing that, because uh, you, you weren't able to communicate with him very well, and there have been times where that's been overwhelming to me, that a mother, you know, the nurturer, blue eyes, because she has blue eyes, that's why she's mentioned that significant uh, uh, aspect of his, of his character. Um, but any, anything you want to add to that? Well, because I'm such a game, I'm a game player. I mean, like come to my house at night, that's all I really want to do is play games. And that was me and Travis. And uh, I have something different out of my other children. It's just different, mm. just different gifts um, that we share. And so much for this, I was going to say, for that, that verse. Yeah, it's, I know for you, you guys especially, it's really, it's refreshing, it's cool when you see your wife go through something and her anchor is scripture. Her anchor is her relationship with Jesus Christ. And I've, I've always appreciated that so much. And this is one of the verses that has been significant for Elaine. Second Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. And another verse that was significant to Elaine is Matthew 25, 21. As she pictures Travis entering into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, we grieved heavily, obviously. Um, it's, you know, it's overdramatic to say that it's hard to grieve when 
a child has so much faith. That's not honest. It is obviously we grieved. But it's reassuring. It's one of the things that carried us through. Um, to tie this back again, because this is a, a Valentine's event here, uh, someone even asked, my niece asked me yesterday, uh, how did you guys survive your marriage? And then I shared, you know, with all of this happening, how did you survive this? Those first couple years, how did we survive this? Um, you you kind of go on autopilot. I mean, you, uh, I, I, again, the investment that you have in, in, in the scripture, in your faith, um, shows up in, in the hardest times. Uh, there's something to be said about storing up. Uh, the Word of God in your heart. There's something to be said about investing your life in people because when you hit those crucibles, when your life is disoriented like ours was, people are going to show, people that you've loved and cared are going to show up and, and love you. We were absolutely overwhelmed with that. Uh, so there was a, you know, a huge crisis, but a, a deep level of peace. Elaine's reference to joy is, is really key to this. Um, but one of, you know, in terms of a marriage, one of the things that, uh, uh, that we did was to, to just bunker together as a family. Uh, we did a lot together as a family. Uh, I did not have to work as much as I had before. The mission gave us some time off, so I was able to be home. But the, the biggest thing to me was um, just the, Elaine's not a quitter. Uh, she has refused to quit ever since I have met her. She's been resilient. She's been strong. She's been tough. There's a story she tells when she was in sixth grade. She was playing football at a neighbor's house with a bunch of kids. Her dad came along and said, Elaine, it's time for supper now. And Elaine, the football was Elaine's football, so she had to take the football and go home. Well, a friend, by the, a neighbor by the name of Johnny Pulaski yelled out and said, you're a quitter. And Elaine turned back over to him and beat him up. <laughs> so you don't call Elaine a quitter. Uh, she's been very resilient. She's been a, a tremendous example to me and uh, has been a real encouragement to me. Another piece of this, it's really a joyous piece of our story. Uh, we went from here to Wisconsin and served. I served in the church there as an associate pastor for five years. And we were called to pastor in Franklin, North Carolina. And that weekend that we were candidating in that church in North Carolina, uh, our youngest son, Brett, who was also 12, same age as Travis was when he was sick, uh, came down with some symptoms that uh, uh, involved throwing up and losing a lot of weight. It took three or four weeks. And I'm sorry to rush this piece of the story. I know it's getting late. Uh, but it turned out that he also had cancer. He had lymphoma cancer. And, uh, you know, don't take for granted the little bit that you can give to cancer research. Uh, don't forget the power of praying for people who are the scientists, the people that are researching these things. Because the, the kind of chemo that he received was not available even five years before that. And he's a cancer survivor. Uh, he will tell you that uh, that experience, plus what he saw his mom and his brother go through, are the things that shaped his faith. Uh, he's, he's even said he would not be who he is if he had not gone through those things. Uh, so that's our story, and we're sticking to it. Um, we're not going to change it. Um, we're, we're certainly hoping the years ahead are going to be free of the trials that we've had before. But uh, I, I just want to say I'm so thankful for Elaine. And um, what, did, what did we learn from, from this about marriage, a marriage that belongs to Jesus? Let me just give you a couple things. 
Uh, a commitment to Jesus is the key to a healthy marriage. I know that sounds rather cliche-ish, but it is true. Uh, you cannot survive without him. He's that third cord that holds our world together. Um, marriage, and I want to be careful with this, and I'll qualify this in a second. Marriages that fall apart are marriages where there's been a lack of trust in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. But it's never too late to come back here to that reference point. I, I love to see how people who have experienced divorce or brokenness, uh, that's behind them, but they can still lean on Christ. They can still trust him. They can see him uh, heal the brokenness that has come with that shattered experience in their life. So I never want to put us in these tears of people that are more spiritual, trusted more, and here some did not. Uh, you know, circumstances are sometimes out of our, our control. And, um, but I think the gospel points everybody uh, to a Jesus who... The thing that means the most to me is not the vows that we made to each other. It's the vow that he's made to us. It's the vow that Je the deep commitment that he has to us, I think, is the key uh, to how we have survived this. He's been so good. He's been so faithful. Um, and then number three, it's not the perfect marriages that tell the story of the gospel. It's when two broken people forgive each other. It's when two broken people say, I'm sorry. It's, it's two broken people who admit that they fail, but bounce back. They're resilient. They come back to, to Christ. Uh, that's, that's when the world see what the, sees what the gospel does. I, I think the, the marriage is the, the best place to display the gospel. Uh, and especially in brokenness. It's a powerful platform, a stage to tell this amazing story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me end with this. Um, this was a verse that was read at my son's funeral, 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. And now, dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The healthiest marriages are those marriages where two people, a husband and a wife, and even the family, are committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, marriage is the best way that God has chosen to communicate that, that life-saving message. So thank you again for listening. And again, if you want to hear more about our story, these are available. And if you don't have $12, honestly, take one. I, I really don't care. Uh, you know, if, if that's something that would be helpful to you, please go ahead and, and take it. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for inviting us. We really enjoyed sharing with you tonight. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments about anything that we've talked about today on Before You Quit, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. I want to remind you also that you can go to our website and listen to uh, 59 podcast episodes now and also uh, lots of blogs that I've written on the subject of challenges in ministry and uh, you can go to that website, which is www.beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. 
He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. 